We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. How would you like a free case of craft beer? Well, as a listener to our show, we'd like to thank you for listening. And with the help of our friends at Beer52.com, we can do just that. Just go to Beer52.com forward slash vision. That's Beer, the number 52.com forward slash vision to claim a free case. Beer 52 is the world's most popular monthly craft beer discovery club. They search out incredible and exclusive small batch craft beers from the world's greatest breweries and bring them back for their members. There is a whole world of craft beer out there. You don't have to drink the same thing over and over again. You don't have to order beer not knowing what you like. Just get on board with discovering great craft beer with Beer52.com. Listeners who sign up now will get to discover fantastic beers from the winners of the Raise the Bar competition. Beer 52 search for the UK's best new small brewers in partnership with London Craft Beer Festival. Enjoy the likes of Unity's 7% Export Stout, Boxcar's Belgian IPA, and West by 3's Mothership with Passion Fruit. As a listener to our show, you can try your first case for free. Just pay £2.95 postage. That's it. Eight incredible craft beers delivered to you, Ferment Magazine, and a snack. There's no minimum commitment. You can just take the free case, try the beer, see what you think. If it's not for you, you can pause, cancel any time. Beer 52 has a five-star rating on Trustpilot, so it's easy to see that their members love the service. Do it now. Try some craft beer. Just visit beer52.com. That's www.beer52.com forward slash vision and claim your free case today. Try it, beer52.com. It is the way to learn more about great beers around the world. Offer valid in the UK only. John Tetter! What a score! This 
This is the Arsenal Vision live show. We are live from the Arsenal Vision studios in beautiful downtown somewhere, looking out on the beautiful river of something. Uh, it really is an extraordinary studio. You should try to make it out here if you can sometime. Uh, but we are on to talk about what is obviously a cataclysm, a disaster, a situation from which there may be no recovery. Uh, potentially the heat death of the universe could save us. But even then, who knows? My name's Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to start with a financial expert, someone who does this sort of thing for a living, to break down what the Stan Kroenke purchase of the remaining outstanding shares of Arsenal Football Club means. And then the guys who love to get crazy, Clive and Paul, will join and give us their opinion, and, and we can all say divisive things that everyone will be mad about. So first of all, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we really appreciate having you live here uh, on the site listening to this, hopefully, for those of you who are listening. In any event, uh, I want to introduce the first guest, and his name is Matt. You may know him on Twitter, at Giant Gooner. And Matt, I want to start by just asking the obviously most important question. Are you, in fact, a giant? <laughs> uh, you know, I can't comment on speculation or something, but I can say <laughs> I had to duck when I, when I went through the door to walk into this room where I'm talking from. Yes, I, I will actually say that more disgracefully, I believe your Twitter handle is related to being a fan of the NFL football giants, which is, is worse, arguably, than being a hideously disfigured giant. So there is that, and I'm sorry for you. Um, uh, judging on last year's performance, I have to agree. Yeah, now, okay, look, let's, let's sort of give your, your bona fides. Uh, in addition to being a giant, you are also uh, a person who buys and sells people for a living. You, uh, you acquire companies and then break them down and put people out of their job. You're basically a robber baron. Have I described that right, or would you like to defend yourself? Something close to that. So I, I work at a, a fund that trades in the stocks of companies that are involved in takeovers and mergers. And I've specialized in that in the context of UK transactions for uh, like almost 15 years. So, you know, when you're talking about the buyout of a publicly traded UK company, I know, you know, as much as anybody you're going to run into out there about how these sorts of things work. I appreciate the confidence. So now let's see it in action. So what I want to do is break down the sort of common misconceptions and conceptions. I don't want to break down conceptions. That's disgusting. But break down the, the ideas people have about what Stan's acquisition of the remaining shares means. So first things first, I think one of the big scary things that people are worried about is that uh, Stan will now be able to take money out of the club and not provide us with information about what the club is doing as a result of this becoming wholly owned by KSE as a Delaware corporation. So is he going to be able to pull money out of the club in ways that he was not able to previously? I think the answer to that question is yes. Um, the difference in what he can do now that he couldn't do before is that before, in order to pull money out of Arsenal, he had to pay dividends from Arsenal Football Club up to KSE. Uh, but of course, any dividend that was paid out had to be shared between all shareholders. So he would only get... 69-odd percent of the, uh, of the dividend. Now he will get 100% of any, any dividend that he pays out of the club. Um, of course, he was finding ways to move small amounts of money out of the club in the past anyway. That $3 million, or sorry, $3 million pound consultancy fee that was paid to KSE a couple of times. Um, I think that when you ask the question about taking money out of the club, the best thing to look at is the long-term track record of KSE teams in the U.S. None of them have been used as vehicles for the man to enrich himself with cash. Now, I'm not going to say that 
his record of his U.S. teams is wonderful. They haven't won any titles, ultimately, when it comes down to it. And they're frequently managed in a way that reflects, I would say, a more concern with the bottom line than you wish there was. I've been mentioning on Twitter today a, a trade that the Denver Nuggets did a month or so ago where they saved themselves $50 million of luxury tax by trading away Kenneth Farriott in exchange for and giving up a first-round pick just to save some money. But, no, technically, if he wants to pull money out of the club, it is a little bit easier now than it was yesterday. But the equal thing to remember is that yesterday he had plenty of levers to pull to pull money out of the club Mm -hmm. if he was interested in doing that. Okay, so then, assuming that he can now pull money out of the club a little more easily, I think another major concern everyone has is that he will do these things and, and engage in sort of shady transactions to the detriment of the club that we will not be able to be aware of. That in the past there was, you know, the AST and the shareholder meeting, and we can put to one side your opinion of the value of that sort of performance, so to speak. But in terms of actually having to file information that is publicly available, what kind of changes are there to those requirements now? Now, that is where news is much better. What people are getting confused, there's been a lot of commentary, oh, now the, com- the club is going to be owned out of Delaware. Well, there's going to be a parent, a, you know, a Topco, if you will, KSE, that is a Delaware entity that's going to own the shares. But the trading of the entity will remain Arsenal Holdings PLC, which will become Arsenal Holdings Limited. Under UK law, they're going to have to file reports at Companies House. Uh, which is a website um, for all intents and purposes. And they are going to have to file on to, to all members of the public financial statements that are only slightly less detailed than the ones that are required for a public company. To put it in perspective, you, you know, anybody who's interested enough to be listening to this, this podcast has hopefully read some of the wonderful work that Swiss Ramble has done about Arsenal and about lots of other football clubs um, on his great website. Just Google Swiss Ramble. Um, all of that is based off of companies' house information. From member of the 20 clubs in the Premier League, the only two that are publicly traded are Arsenal and Manchester United. Yet there's lots of financial information outstanding about the other 18 clubs, as well as the various clubs in the Football League. Okay, so that, I mean, that does sound encouraging. So, I mean, while he can do things that we may not like, presumably we will be able to see that those things are taking place and and complain about them. I mean, obviously, we don't have a lot of recourse to do anything about them, but you could argue we didn't have any to begin with. Now, one thing that I I think is interesting is people are reflecting on the negative aspects of Stan taking over the club in its entirety, and I certainly acknowledge that there are many, and we will dive into that more with uh, Clive and Paul in the sort of opinion section. But one thing that I want to get your take on is with fractured ownership, when, when... this was not solely owned by Stan. It made it more difficult to him for him to dispose of this asset, so to speak. Um, not that we like to call the club an asset, but that is indeed what it is uh, in Stan's portfolio. Do you think that there's a possibility that by acquiring the remainder of the club, it may also signal an easier possibility for him to sell off the club and, and exit his holding altogether? I think that's right over a long period of time. I mean, the Cronkies have consistently said that they intend to own Arsenal forever. But when you work in the world of corporate takeovers, that's one of those things that's true until it isn't, until somebody shows up with a number that is too compelling to pass up on, or, you know, when you get generational, you know, pass-downs, oftentimes there's the state tax, people feel the need to... uh, People feel the need to sell some assets in order to preserve other assets. You know, in this context, you know, Mr. Kroenke is 71 years old. Uh, I think his wife's older than he is, and 
She owns a couple of the clubs that, or a couple of the franchises that uh, he owns in North America. Way to go, um, Mrs. Cronky. All right. <laughs> born as Mrs. Walton, or Miss Walton, which... Uh, Do they own any businesses? A lot about where all the money comes from. Oh, okay. Yeah, I've heard of that one. A little okay. one. Yeah. Um, okay, so yeah. understood. But then, as far as disposing of the asset, put that to one side for a second. Let's say he is planning to stay invested. Uh, one thing that people are focusing on with respect to this specific transaction is that... Uh, a bridge loan was used. Now, I've read some of your tweets about this, and I found them very enlightening. Maybe you can sort of explain why you believe that bridge loan was used, the ramifications of that, because the next problem I think people see is, okay, he's going to finance his debt with revenue from the club. So why the bridge loan, and what are the ramifications of using it? When you take over a UK public company, an arsenal, despite the fact that, you know, who and change percent of the stock was quoted, and it you know trades by appointment for to use industry lingo, is a public company. Any public transaction you execute in the UK is governed by the UK Takeover Code. Um, under the code, you if you are going to make an offer for a code subject company, you need to have a fund certain statement, a cash confirmation statement made by a reputable investment bank that's authorized and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority. Um, in order to do that, you need to show proof of funds. To show proof of funds, you typically want to have a bridge loan. Um, that's the way that almost every takeover you will ever see in the UK is going to be financed. You have the bridge, which allows you to put out a fund certain letter, and then you refinance the bridge within usually 364 days, either with permanent debt, or if you're as wealthy as Stan Kroenke, you can simply pony up cash to replace the bridge loan and just pay it down. Okay. Um, so let's say that he's he's not planning to do anything too nefarious with this bridge loan, but he then takes that debt and somehow converts it into you know, another loan that it, that he goes to another bank, shops that debt, refinances it, whatever, you know, whatever the terminology would be if I were a knowledgeable and intelligent human being who understood this stuff uh, like you. So, um, you know, is there a worry that, that he will add indebtedness to the club? And I think a lot of people point to the stadium he's building in L.A. for his NFL franchise, Los Angeles Rams, which recently moved there. It is not a publicly funded stadium. It is a massive undertaking. Are you concerned that he will lever that debt with the the revenue from the football club or anything like that? Can you put that into words that are coherent, actually? I think I get the point you're going at. I'm not particularly worried by it. So we know that the bridge loan is not secured by Arsenal because in Section 10 of the 2.7 statement, the formal offer statement that was released to the stock market this morning, uh, they represent that the loan is not secured by, Arsenal's, by Arsenal or any of its assets or any of its cash flows. So what we're certain of is that the bridge loan has no recourse to Arsenal. Right. Um, it is possible, if he wanted to, he could borrow against Arsenal in order to finance other projects once the transaction is closed. This is one of the small differences in disclosure between a public company and a private company. In the public company setting, if he borrowed against Arsenal, he would have had to disclose it. In the private company, he won't. Um, but now here is where logic has to come into play. If you want to borrow against an asset, you go to a bank. A bank wants to see cash flow that comes out of an asset. Now, Stan Kroenke, the family wealth comes from a combination of his wife's you know, heritage, heritage from Walmart and the fact that over the 70s, 80s, and 90s, uh, Stan Kroenke built an enormous number of shopping centers anchored by Walmarts all across America. Real estate is easy to borrow against. It has predictable cash flows, and you know, it's, it's there. And, 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 and durable value, I would think, is a big part of that, right? 
yeah, a football club is ephemeral. You know, right. the, the mm-hmm. value can disappear really rapidly. Sure, legally, he could borrow against Arsenal. But if he wants to borrow money to fund developing the Rams stadium, why would he borrow against Arsenal when he could just borrow against some strip malls? I mean, it's, it's going to be cheaper and easier and more effective. Moreover, you have no FFP consequences from borrowing against, uh, borrowing against your strip malls. Whereas if you borrow against Arsenal, it has negative impacts on the, your assets' ability to perform. So you've got to remember that Stan Kroenke is an extremely, extremely rich individual. Between he and his wife, they're worth something in the order of magnitude of $13.5 billion. You know, these people are not hard up for money. They don't just need to lever your club just because you're afraid of it. Right, and and I I think we we will get into and for everyone listening, we are talking to Matt. He is at Giant Gooner on Twitter. Uh, he spends all day every day dealing with mergers and acquisitions and takeovers of UK companies. So he is uh, certainly in a position to understand how these transactions take place. I I want to say that he is not providing his opinion on Stan on the takeover on what that means to the soul of the club or the heritage of the club. We are discussing purely some of the details of the transaction and how it may impact the club. So you know I, I don't want to sort of uh, saddle you with having your opinion be that it's good or bad or otherwise we could certainly get into that at another time or on Twitter but for the purposes of this discussion we're sticking with some of the details and clarifying some of the misconceptions or conceptions which means another thing entirely uh, we will have Clive and Paul on shortly to give the more sort of opinionated response to this takeover but you know one of the questions that I think people will have obviously is how this will impact the business on the pitch. And, you know, my opinion is that, you know, if you want to see this positively, you would say that deteriorating performances on the pitch are not good for the asset long term, obviously. So, you know, it doesn't benefit Stan if Arsenal deteriorates into a complete financial mess. But do you have sort of any informed opinion about how Stan may want to operate the club vis-a-vis competing for titles and balancing that against profitability? I mean, obviously, the amount of profit that these clubs make annually is minuscule by comparison to the value of the asset or the profitability he has broadly. I mean, in as much as it's informed, it's just by reading the same sorts of things that everybody else here reads and knowing how sports business works. Um, I would absolutely say that ultimately, in as much as Stan Kroenke wants to see the value of his asset rise, he needs to see Arsenal be a competitive team. Un, you know, he doesn't need to see the club winning trophies, but he can't see us languishing sixth out of six for a prolonged period of time, or heaven forbid, falling out of the oligopoly of the big six that sit at the top of the Premier League. So I think it's very much in his interest to, conti- to continue to invest in the club and see it win. Uh, invest, I would pretty much mean reinvest the profits or the revenues that the club generates, as opposed to pulling money out. And frankly, if he was in the business of trying to maximize the cash yield of his investments, he probably wouldn't be buying sports teams. You know, there are better ways to make money faster and more in more liquid ways than buying sports teams if your goal is to pull cash out of your investments. Um, well, having said that, I mean, one of the sort of analogs of this kind of ownership is FSG over at Liverpool. And I think we can say that they have shown a willingness to invest uh, on the pitch in, you know, the playing staff that they have largely been seen as a positive influence on that club over there for what I know. I mean, the club is obviously a disgusting garbage dumpster fire that we don't want to mention, but to be fair, they look to be moving in the right direction and they are American owned by a sports group, so to speak. So, 
do you have sort of any understanding of similarities or differences in the way KSE is run with respect to its sports holdings versus something like FSG? Well, one of the big differences between KSE and FSG is KSE is a family operation with one shareholder. FSG has a number of minority partners. I mean, obviously, the, the two principals are uh, Tom Warner and John Henry. But there's any number of people who own stakes in, the, in it alongside those two. I believe LeBron James is one, just by memory. Um, whereas KSE is exclusively Stan Kroenke, Josh Kroenke, and Ann Kroenke. Um, there, the other reality is that the KSC folks, I mean, you know, they don't have any particular reputation in any of the sports they operate in of being the smartest guys in the room. They're not, I mean, none of their clubs are seen as badly run. The, the Nuggets in particular, people think are run pretty well. Uh, the Rams have improved over the last year in terms of people's perception of the quality of management. For a long time, they stuck with an underperforming mediocre coach uh, who was veteran but didn't seem to do that well. Has anybody heard a story like that around any other club <laughs> we know? Hopefully. Um, <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, oh well, no, we know. know. They, yeah, we know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the Rams fired their coach and hired a young guy who uh, engineered a remarkable turnaround. Uh, hopefully we'll see that this year at Arsenal. But yes. yeah, whereas FSG, you know, in baseball, they turned the long, morbid Red Sox into a World Series winner, excuse me while I throw up, um, and, uh, and have taken over Liverpool and done an absolutely fantastic job with that club. Okay, so, I mean, all things being equal, I think the way you've couched this is certainly in positive terms without directly opining on what it means for Stan to own Arsenal, but the transaction. For those people who are saying that maybe there is some bias that is being represented in the way you're presenting this, can you quickly, before we say goodbye, give me what some of the, the pitfalls, the dangers, the potential problems could be the way that he could use this transaction or this takeover to negatively impact the club? I mean, with, without you know getting hysterical, but, but are there some things that you're going to be keenly watching to see if he does them? Sure. I mean, the number one thing I would say is that my take on this above all else is that it's not that much different than it was yesterday. And if you didn't like him yesterday, you shouldn't like him today. And if you liked him yesterday, you should like him today. Um, in terms of things that are the biggest risk, I think clearly the ability to take cash out of the club. There was, you know, obviously there was a lot of controversy around the three million pound a year fee that KSE was uh, taking out as a consultancy fee. Um, I think people will want to keep a keen eye on the accounts when they're published to see if similar fees like that return. And I think it's an interesting question for journalist types who speak in agent world. You know, that pressure that came against that fee was it just the fans or was it also folks in the world of football who were unimpressed with the idea of that and it affected the standing of the club and the interest of third parties in football and putting players in the direction of the club if you think there's a lack of ambition. Um, yeah, I'm other sorry, keep going. People yep. would want to look other things that people would want to look for, um, I think it's going to be interesting to see who the new CEO appointment is, assuming, assuming, that, uh, assuming that we see the departure of, uh, of Ivan Gazidis to Milan, like has been widely reported. And I think the other question is how they'll constitute the board of directors of the new entity. Um, oh, the other thing I would add is, how are they going to disclose financials? You know, you can just make a quiet filing at a company's house. But I was doing a little searching earlier today, and I actually was searching around Liverpool, as we've discussed them. Liverpool discloses its financial results in a press release on the website every year with, you know, a little bit of color and discussion and valuable things like that. It'll be interesting to see if Arsenal, in the new 100% ownership era, attempt to keep a certain amount of transparency about the financials beyond the bare minimum that's required, more sort of to be seen 
to be seen as doing the right thing, to be consistent with what other clubs at their level are doing. Yeah, I, I think we, those are all things we can keep a lookout for. I, I want to be sensitive to your time. Do you have just a minute or two more, or you have to run? Um, yeah, I can probably give you about one or two more minutes. Perfect, because the last thing I just wanted to ask you is, one thing we've seen at FSG, for example, like when we did the $40 million in one bid uh, for Suarez, which was hashtag awesome, uh, we saw John Henry tweet, you know, what are they smoking over there at the Emirates? He has not been shy on the PR side. I, I think they understand the importance of good PR with their supporters with their fans um stan has taken a different approach obviously earning the the nickname silent stan pr hasn't necessarily been their thing there have been some sort of notorious missteps with sir chips so i mean does stan have any history that you're aware of in terms of trying to keep the fans on side performing pr moves that that might endear him to the fan base i I saw some speculation hey maybe he goes out and tries to make last minute transfer this window to sort of show this isn't going to be doom and gloom do you are you aware of him being concerned or not concerned about fan sentiment across his other ownings well it's interesting in terms of actual like engagement with the media you've seen far more engagement with the uk media than we've seen in any of the domestic stuff that he's done you know he sits down with an interview with jeremy wilson of the telegraph seemingly once a year um but what i think a lot of people in nfl world have been talking about has been that the rams while they're in the middle of building this shiny new stadium, moving to Los Angeles and trying to generate fan interest in a very competitive market, uh, have been splashy in the way they've been spending money. Frankly, almost Man United-esque in that they seem to be focused on names uh, and trying to, trying to increase the star, the, 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 the star power of the club. Um, there is some history of, you know, if they think it's business sensible, of trying to make big moves in order to in order to draw attention. So, I mean, I'd be surprised if they had some big transfer lined up for tomorrow as a result of this takeover bid. That sort of strikes me as a long shot, but I'd love to be wrong. So what you're saying is Dembele incoming. Thanks. That's perfect. That's a great way to finish it. So <laughs> I, I just want to first of all remind everyone, you're, you're listening to Giant Gooner on Twitter. Definitely give him a follow. Uh, his name is Matt. He engages in this kind of work all day long. So uh, whether you agree or disagree with what he's saying, he's certainly in a position to provide this kind of insight. Matt, I thought this was excellent, super helpful. We're going to bring Paul and Clive in, but we're going to say goodbye to you for now. So I hope you have a great rest of your day buying and selling the livelihoods of of other people around the world. Thanks so much. I really appreciate you giving me the chance to come on. It was great. All right, we'll talk to you soon. Cheers. Bye-bye. Okay, that was Matt at Giant Gooner. Please, please give him a follow on Twitter. As you can hear, he, he, he knows his stuff, and I think it was nice of him to give us his time from a conference room in the middle of his busy work day. Uh, thankfully, people like myself don't have such problems. What we are going to try to do now live is bring Paul and Clive on um, and get their thoughts on this from a more sort of emotional standpoint, not to suggest that they are not competent to analyze the transaction, but clearly they are not competent to analyze the transaction. So I'm going to go ahead and try to give them a call, and you may, in fact, hear Twitter noises. Yeah, there it is. There's Twitter noises. You know what? Let's do this. Let's just take them down. There we go. Twitter noises down. Uh, I say Twitter noises. Those are clearly Skype noises. So let's see. Oh, wait. We may have them. Let's bring them back up. Here they come. Doing this live. Hello? Hello? Oh, that's Paul. I can hear Paul. And is Clive there? He is. Oh, all right. So you are listening to Paul. You can find him on Twitter at Positive My Pants. Hello, Paul. Woohoo! And, oh gosh, you're clipping like crazy. And Clive is on Twitter at Clive P-A-F-C. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. 
All right, so Paul, you're too loud, and Clive, you're too quiet. Brilliant. You know what? This is live. It's going to be great. We're going to have a chat. So we spoke to Giant Gooner. He broke down the transaction for us. What I want to do now is get into what it means to be an Arsenal fan in this new world of Stan Kroenke buying out Arsenal. And I'll start with you, Clive, as someone who's you know grown up in London. Did you grow up in London? You're in London now. Just outside of London, yep. Okay, with Arsenal, you know, in your life, for your whole life, um, you know, watching th- this ownership change and Stan come into the club and now Stan taking over the rest of the club and really eliminating any local ownership, any English ownership, wh- what are sort of your immediate just emotional reactions in terms of what this means for the club culturally and just, I, I hate to use these these sort of words, but the soul of the club? Oh, wow. That's emotional, right? So, um <laughs> Uh, you know I don't do emotion that much, not unless I'm drinking, right? And I'm not drinking tonight. So, Get the wine um, out. All right, fine. So be <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, I'm, I'm an awesome fan of 45 years plus, right? So seen a few things. Um, this whole thing with um, Stan has been coming for a little while since what happened with the old board and how they separated and Danny Fisman's untimely death, which um, I think is a major moment in our history. And that's when things started to change, right? And um, and I can't help but think logically. You know, when the news broke this morning, I sent out some tweets that were quite logical and and people weren't quite ready for them. They were quite emotional still because, because change is difficult for some people, right? And they have their own vested interests and vested emotions and... It means something to them on a personal level. And everybody that supports this club is allowed to support their club in their way, right? The fact that I'm a middle-aged, logical man doesn't mean I expect everyone else to think that way. But the way I see it is, Conky's been in charge of this club for a little while in everything but name. Now he can solidify that ownership completely. And um, and I ask myself, what has duality done for us since um, the old board split up? I think it's frozen us slightly, and I think it stopped us from from going one way or the other. And I'm not sure which way we're going to go, but at least there will be clarity and a potential single direction where somebody at the top owns everything, and he has a vested interest to ensure that his £1.8 billion investment goes upward. And so if he has the best interest in doing that, that means potentially, I'm not saying for certain, potentially he could share the interests of every one of us because to boost his investment, he has to support the club appropriately and make sure it's run appropriately and make sure it matches our ambitions. And that's the logical way to think about it. And when you look at the minutiae, when someone has that increased flexibility and ownership, there are negative things they could potentially do. But I ask myself the question, why would they do some of that? You know, how does it um, how does it really benefit all of us and the club? And I know there are many sort of takeover rules that in the UK are quite slack, which leaves these opportunities open. But I do not see the devil coming out in this movement. I just see clarity. And I see opportunity and I see, I just want to wait and see. And I think that's the most important thing that you allow yourself time to wait and see and see how this develops. I think that's well said. Look, I don't think there is anything wrong with being sad, with being sad. And I have to admit, look, I, I am an American in case you can't tell. I did not grow up with Arsenal in my backyard. Um, but I don't think there's anything wrong with feeling that it is the end of an era that, you know, the, the fan ownership for what little or token 
element it may have been is gone, that people feel that their say is going away, that you know some part of the old arsenal, the last vestiges of it are being taken away. I don't think it's wrong to have that emotional response, to feel that something that was very local and very personal and very community-oriented has now finally made its last move to being this global hashtag brand. And I, I don't think anybody should feel bad if that is the reaction they are having to this taking place. The question is whether that reaction is just emotional or whether there are actual genuine problems with that happening. I don't think any of us are going to pretend that Stan Kroenke is, you know, bleeds Arsenal. You know, I was going to say bleeds the, the red and white, but I guess it's bleeds the mint green now. Um, you know, I, I don't know that anybody's going to say that. So... The question becomes, were we better off with the split ownership model? Were we better off with this little sliver that did belong to the fans that that created some measure of accountability, although I think it's a little overstated what that accountability was? And I'm just not clear that that was any better other than from a symbolic standpoint. I mean, Paul, you know, one thing that unfortunately I think has happened on Twitter, as is the case, people set out their battle lines. And I think there are a lot of Americans who try to defend Kroenke's ownership because they see it as a proxy for Americans supporting Arsenal and that sometimes this breaks down along, for, you know, hashtag or, or quote, for anti-foreign or foreigner lines. And I think you can be an American supporter of Arsenal and still not like Stan and still not want him owning it. But do you find uh, this to be a worrying development? Are you more circumspect about it? Where do you fall down on this, on this taking place? Well, I think I'm the right person to ask because like, I live in America, but I'm not American. So, like, if there was a war, I would have to sneak along the floor in the middle of the night and slit your throat. So, yeah. yeah. So I have that kind of independence there. i got to say, listening to the news, I'm gutted, um, mainly gutted because I listened to Giant Gooner and I had some really good points to made, make, and he made them word for word. His okay, so that's section. been Paul. You can find him on Twitter at Posner My Pants. Thanks for joining us, Paul. <laughs> yeah. no. <laughs> now, to be fair, I got all my points from reading his Twitter feed today. No, he, I thought he was really, really good going through it. And I thought that was very helpful. Um, and kind of maybe reflective, uh, and not in my depth of understanding, etc., but his his general summary of it was kind of reflective of, of what I hope the outcome from this is. Uh, it's very different if you're... If, you're a historical, a conventional historical fan uh, in the old sense that you came from the local geography and that you were brought up in this. And and obviously this, although nothing much has really substantially changed with the Stan Kroenke ownership between yesterday to then and today, I mean, it could, but there, there's also rationale to say, actually, it's just a realization of what was already in play, what was inevitable, and that the the next few years may not be substantially any different to the last few years. Um, it's still kind of the death knell of how uh, so many supporters uh, locally in England, lo- locally around London, uh, viewed their club. But I think if they also look around, it's not just Arsenal that's no longer in that model. There are no clubber, clubs of any substantial size uh, remaining that are. Up I, the I think old that's model. a huge and point, it, Paul. I think that is such an yeah. important point. Is just that if you want to be one of the big clubs at the big table, there aren't a lot of ownership models left that anybody's really going to feel warm and fuzzy about. 
I think no. I think Elliot, I think the numbers eighteen out of twenty of the Premiership clubs are owned yeah. this way. Yeah, so and let I, me tell I, you I, what'll I, happen to the other two if they stick around long enough and do do well enough. I mean, it's just it's just the nature of the beast nowadays. Um, uh, and yeah, I I think it is sad, and it it does make me pine for a simpler day. But I think that simpler day is now, you know, it's like eighteen years ago, fifteen years ago when when you could find clubs that weren't in this kind of a model. And so you're back to the, you know, uh, Winston Churchill was is reputedly supposed to have said, though I don't think it was re- really his quote, that democracy is the worst system in, of, of government in the world apart from all the others. And Stan Kroenke might be the worst owner in the world apart from most of the others, uh, unless you like oligarchs. They obviously have their advantages but they can have some startling disadvantages too beyond just the moral aspect of it. So Stan has uh, historically with us been boring, stable. Uh, In theory, I know everybody will have different opinions on this, but in theory appoints good people to run the club and provides the overall group structure and stability to let him get on with it. And you can't really separate out the arc of arson's career with the performance of arsenal so to judge if you like arson great if you don't like what arson did then it's hard to parse that out from from what stan's done yeah um, so, i agree with that yeah uh, i i yeah and, and you know we're worried and we to be honest we did okay there um we might have done better we might have been more ambitious there's plenty that stan could have done but as a club uh you could say until a couple of years ago we were at least performant to the level of a club of our statue, stature, even if we can all think of missed opportunities along the way. And I don't think Stan's been worse in the last couple of years. And for all the reasons Giant Gunner talked about, I hope uh, and, and feel there's no reason, given the piece of the puzzle that Arsenal is in his massive portfolio uh, of, of uh, KSE, there's no reason for him to hang str- uh, hamstring Arsenal. He can pull funds out of his ass at the drop of the hat. The, ha- well, the idea that he needs Arsenal for his LA project, which I know is huge. Guess what? He can get all the funding on the planet he wants for that because the revenue opportunity is absolutely astounding on that as from everything I've read on it. So he doesn't, he's not running around he trying need to get to. Few, he just can, yeah. is, is I think the fear. And, and you know, trusting someone to not do something when they have that power over you is hard. Sure, that's the worry. Look, there are worries. Uh, and, and maybe I'm just consoling myself on those worries. Uh, but I'll tell you, the thing I'm most pissed about is the timing just before the weekend when things were feeling good. Uh, I'd like to think it wasn't really uh, KSC's fault that it's happening now, that it was Usman off who decided now was the time to sell up. And this was the week it had to be done. But it just sucks to happen. Well, just before we're getting going. It also shows you, I mean, with respect to Usman off, you know, how much trust you should put in people that come bearing you know gifts trojan horse style i mean uzmanov for a long time has been talking about how he's an arsenal fan stands not he cares about the club you know that he he bleeds the club colors and that he he would do what's right for the club and at the end of the day when the money was right and the time was right he sold up you know so i mean i think you, you always have to take everything these kinds of people say with a grain of salt and Clive, I want to ask you a question that is loaded, and I want to sort of unload it as much as possible or take some of the, 
the weight out of it. There's obviously a strong reaction from some people who have had access to the club and, and rights within the club as a result of their minority, very, very minority, minuscule uh, shareholdings or participation in certain supporter trusts and groups. Um, they are understandably annoyed by this and bothered by this. And I, I certainly understand that reaction. I mean, they feel rightly or wrongly that they have held the club to account and there's no one left to do that. So I kind of want to get your take on what you think the elimination of the role of the AST and the, the meetings that they've held, the annual meetings, AGMs and things like that, the elimination of that role, or certainly the elimination of the, the, the influence that they had, whatever you thought of it. Do you, do you think that that is a substantial change in, in the club and will have negative impact on the supporters? I think it's a change. I, 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 I may not be the right person to to answer that question. And if Tim was on, he he would definitely be able to answer that from a from an AST perspective. And he knows all those individuals, etc. Um, I'm a little bit more um, pragmatic, and um, I think it's a nice thing. I think it's a nice thing that Arsenal have the AGM. I think it's a nice thing that supporters can talk to senior people in the club and have an opportunity to have their voice. Everyone's assuming that's going to absolutely disappear, but we don't know. We don't know the engagement model going forward. We know that the club don't have to do anything, but they may choose to do something. Um, so we'll see how that goes. But um, so I, I, I'm. I think it's um, without being too harsh. I think it's almost like a emperor's clothes thing. I think there is a level of influence. There is a level of contact, but it's just, it's just a numbers game, right? The real powers with the billionaires. It's not with the single share owner, right? It's with the billionaires. Money gives you control. And um, I think that's a shame for those individuals. As I said earlier, people have their own experience, have their own Arsenal journey. You know, what we do on podcasts is part of my Arsenal experience. And if I didn't do this, my Arsenal experience would, would not be as rich. Some people think, why do you do that? And I, and I look at some of the people who go to those meetings who are absolutely massively dedicated and know all about the numbers in the accounts. And that's their journey, and it means a hell of a lot to them. And so I don't want to diminish it, but I don't think it's the most important thing. I think we've got to be really smart here and think about where we've been for the last few years and how we've been owned and where potentially we could go. And everyone's talked about Stan Kroenke. And you know what I'm thinking, Elliot? I'm thinking, let's get to know Josh Kroenke because he's the younger man. He's not 71. Yep. He's the one that came over, did a three-month review, and since he came went back, this club has hired about 200 people. I mean, it's incredible what's happened in the last six months. And I think we need to get to know Josh Kroenke and his ambitions. Stan is in L.A. When I say L.A., I mean that figuratively. What's going on around the L.A. Olympics, etc.? What's going the Rams, on the obviously, his new stadium there. Yep. Mm -hmm. LA, sorry, mate. Yeah, L.A. Rams. What's going on there is just massive. It's a lifetime opportunity, and he has gone through a journey to get where he's going to get. And by the end of the NFL season, who knows what could happen from a sporting perspective because the Rams are very well positioned this year, as I'm sure you well know. But that was not always the case, as I'm sure you well know, with the old coach, etc. So he had focused there, and Josh is primed and lined up. And I always felt, funny enough, I did try to predict this on, on the podcast, that the next phase was for Gazidis was to regenerate the boardroom. I, I thought there'd be an ownership, but I didn't see 
Josh potentially replacing Kazinis, if you see what I mean. I thought yeah. he may come as chairman or, or something like that and really be the, the sitting chairman and Kazinis do his role and continue to reshape the board and look at its diversity and lower the age profile. That was my prediction for the next phase of Kazinis' reign. But now that's in doubt. So now I'm thinking, everyone's looking at Stan Kroenke, everyone's looking at the, the single ownership. I'm looking at Josh Kroenke. How do I get to know what he does, how he rolls? Because he is, the, potentially, he is the future. Yeah. Right? And, so and we, need to, we need to look at him. Yeah, so I, I think that's a really well-made point. And and I think the interesting thing is, it's one thing if Gazidis comes to Stan saying, we need money to do blank, versus if his son comes to him and says, hey, dad, can I can I have the checkbook? You know, so, you know, maybe that will play out in our favor. Look, I do want to caution you with one thing that you've said, though, Clive. I'm looking around this panel. I'm looking at Paul, looking at you, I'm looking at myself. I think maybe mm-hmm. we pump the brakes on the whole push the old guy out and look for the young guy, because, you know, none of us are spring chickens, so... Maybe the, maybe yeah, the old yeah, guys yeah. still have something to add, you know. I mean, let's just oh, let's just pump, pump the brakes on going young here. Um, uh, all I Paul, can say is thank God for moisturizer. That's all I can say. Keep going, mate. Keep going. <laughs> thank God for moisturizer. I mean, that could be taken a few ways, man. I've got an I've got another internet window open over over here. Uh, <laughs> Paul, for God's sake, would you wait till the pod's over, you sick bastard? Yeah, no kidding. Hey, Paul. So uh, I know you wanted to chime in on the AST thing, and, and again, without uh, any overly pointed remarks, did you have some thoughts on that? Well, the only remarks I had were overly pointed. No, no, I'm not going to mention my old friend, uh, Timmy P. Um, No, my my point on that was, uh, I mean, I do think there was a lot of value in what the the AST did. Uh, I know there's a kind of a mourning for the loss of a sense of control over the club, uh, which, as as, uh, Clive mentioned, uh, in between bouts of applying... Uh, additional moisturizer, copious amounts of moisturizer that, uh, you know, the emperor's uh, clothes have been uh, lifted, oh dear, um, with the power that fans do or don't have here. But, I mean, they still have the pa- power they always had as and they exercised last year, which was to not show up, which is the ultimate power. It's not protests. It's not throwing your toys around. I mean, some of the scenes of the, scenes of the AGM you know, not all of us were super uh, uh, pleased to be associated with from a distance. So, um, but overall, I thought it was a good process and there was good transparency. We'll have to see if KSE feel, as Giant Gunner talked about, that they may feel the need to provide some additional level of transparency and communication. But, you know, the fans still have a massive say when they put their heads together. Um, so there's still a role for uh, supporters groups. There's still a role for fans expressing their level of support or not for the direction of the club, for the manager. Obviously, it's not something any of us want to see uh, needing to be required or et cetera. We want, a, we, we want a club that's listening close to the, to the support base. I certainly echo Clive's point. Um, about Josh Cranky. I don't think he's going to become CEO. To me, that wouldn't make too much sense. But what he will do is pick a CEO to his own liking. And who knows what the relationship was really like with Gazidis because he's off. I mean, it might have been okay, but not great. Good, but not brilliant. Now they can get somebody that fits what they're looking for. I think Josh, uh, the, from the process of uh, 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 transitioning from arson 
to Unai Emery and having to become involved in the day-to-day dealings of the club and the personalities and Sven and Raul, um, that's what he'll take away from this and hopefully kind of a, an emotional connection he didn't have before to uh, an investment into where it's got to so far. And as a young man, he'll like to win stuff, even if Stan couldn't give a rat's ass whether he wins the title yeah. or not. There's no 38-year-old on the planet who wouldn't like to be associated with winning the Premier League. So hopefully bring some additional excitement etc but i mean there's so much going on with kse and they've only the three board members as giant gooner talked about yeah and stand 71 and at some stage all of that stuff all that la ram stadium investments all the other activities you know he loves his basketball uh does our josh so well I yeah he's got his denver he's got his denver nuggets involvement which i i don't think we can just sweep hand sweep hand wave that away and say okay he's an arsenal man now because that is a big part of what he does on a day-to-day basis um yeah i think it makes much more sense for him to appoint a ceo and for him to stay very involved but not have to do the day-to-day ceo stuff it doesn't mean he couldn't be basically involved the way we want him to be but he doesn't need to be driving the car he look can sit in the back when yeah. I was 38, I was only running one professional sports franchise, and I found that overwhelming. So to take on another one, that would be difficult. Um, I, I think there's going to be a lot of tea leave reading, if you know what I mean, guys, because people are going to look if Ramsey signs or if we get a deal done and before the window's closed or if we don't get a deal done. And every new little thing that happens over the next couple of months now is going to be seen as a referendum on whether the players trust staying at Arsenal under a stand ownership or whether the executive felt that way. So Clive... Do you believe, I mean, do you want to get a little conspiratorial here and say that the Gazidis departure is potentially linked to concerns about working for the Cronkies going forward and and Cronky having a total ownership of the club? Or do you just think that's putting two and two together and getting five? Yep, five. I think uh, Gazidis was, you you guys tell me, uh, Gazidis was um, somebody that the Cronkies supported to hire when it originally happened. In 2009, I think it was. I think yep. I've always thought that Gazidis was their man rather than our man, if you see what I mean, from a UK perspective. So I, I don't see that as an issue, unless the relationship has deteriorated. I, I do think if Gazidis does go, that's purely because of the people who are involved at AC Milan. And it is an if. There was a statement today, and by the way, you can't always believe statements from billionaires. There was a statement today that the, the demographic of the board will not be changing. Right, So potentially nothing's going to change at the senior level. And I did read somewhere that Gazidis has to give in a one-year notice period before you can go anywhere. So it depends what you want to believe. Um, I, I personally would like to see Gazidis stay, particularly during this period now where there is a, a perceived level of instability and change. The, the least change you can have around the top level to make sure that the, the management team on the sporting side can focus on their job, which is recruitment, selling, making sure we've got the right commercial deals, making sure we've got the right players running around on the green grass. Right, That's what we want. We want someone to support our new manager, the first manager in 22 years. I think he had the duty of care to that man. He was part of the hiring process, as was Stan, as was Josh Cronkey. So we know that he's their man. They hired him, so stability there. I think Zidis, I think he needs to stay, and I think he he owes that to the club. You know, in a year's time, if that situation he decides he wants to go and feather his nest uh, anywhere else, and he does have lots of job offers, 
and you know, in the this is a free world, right? You you can't deny the man an opportunity to make all the money he needs for the rest of his life. So, yeah, my view is, I'm hoping for a little bit of stability in that in that situation. I'm hoping that um, the relationship isn't um, bad, and I'm not looking for conspiracy theories. I'm I'm trying to look at this from a clarity, single ownership. This is what the rest of the world is doing. Maybe we can start to do some of the things that the rest of the world are doing and increase our commercial relationships, increase our revenues coming in because the people that now run the club have their own sort of commercial background. And basically, my wife said something to me today. She said to me, if you were renting a house, would you knock through, do an extension, modernize it, or would you wait till you owned the house before you did the flashy sort of house improvements to make sure that your investment went up? When you don't own the house, what you do is just enough to maintain its value. When you own the house, you're thinking about, okay, this is mine now. This is my this is mine. So I need to make sure it increases in value. And this is where I'm really going to focus on. I think that's so I'm fair. Looking at it that way. I'm looking at it that way around. And then someone came back to me and said, Clive, what about the other state of the, the other houses that he owns? And that's when you can then question some of the things that he's done in other franchises. But I look at the NFL franchise as a major one and I look at the Denver Nuggets as another major one. They're not they're not doing too bad. And I'm looking at Arsenal as the other major one and they are the three major franchises for me, and um, I don't think you can afford to 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 mess with those franchises. And Arsenal is a historic club. It's the biggest of them all, really. Can... I mean, yeah, the, the LA Rams will probably surpass it in in value now that they've moved to LA from St. Louis. But I mean, this is this is really the crown jewel uh, for him. I will tell you your house analogy. You don't have any of those problems if you just live in a van down by the river. So, hey man, just if anybody's that. listening, there's a thought. Um, <laughs> You know, all right, let's get a little hysterical before we say goodbye, though, because I think we've, we've been circumspect about this. We've been calm. We've, we've taken a measured look at it. Paul, we need to tease out some angst or anxiety from this. It could go the way of FSG. It could go the way of green and gold. Um, and I think the worry is he's going to use the club to fi- to uh, as leverage for other debt to help finance the stadium in L.A., that he will uh, rack up debt against the club that he can pour into other uh, business ventures. I mean, I think that Matt in the first section dispelled a lot of those myths quite effectively, but I mean, are there scenarios you can see other than just sort of the emotional connection to the club being damaged for some? And again, we said at the top of this show that that is a, a very understandable reaction, but are there specific things that could happen going forward that worry you that you're going to be keeping an eye out for? Uh, I think my biggest worry uh, would be that his rationale is the 550 million or whatever he needs to borrow. That uh, whatever the statements today about not the club not having to pay uh, anything on that on the current bridging loan that in the a, a future loan that replaces that 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 might be something logically that the the that Arsenal needs to. Uh, add to its list of debt payments its uh, its annual mortgage um that would be a logical concern uh you as matt talked about it doesn't necessarily make sense to do anything that slows down arsenal's progress towards getting back in the top four and getting back to being performant uh in the premier league and on the worldwide stage if i'm if i'm stan cranky 
and a cranky. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a cranky man, but anyway, Stan Cronky, and I look at my portfolio of products. The one that has doubled in value over the last few years is Arsenal, and the one with the American franchises, uh, as you would know better than I would, are kind of pretty stable, and it's kind of difficult to break out from a business standpoint of the overall model. You get your share of what it is. Now he's done something with the the property and with the 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 stadium and the rights and broadcasting, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, to break out of that model, and especially in the LA market. But it's a very stable and contained market, which is good. The exciting piece of their their portfolio is Arsenal. The 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 property that you just don't know how big it can get uh within his portfolio is arsenal um so yeah i mean what if he builds it to the size of a manchester united right i mean not you know i'm not saying we're on the cusp of that happening but you know that's that's and and it's a great point because he's often talked about the glaziers certainly in the early days of what what they've done and he's got to be looking over there saying well that's what's possible so why would you can in some ways we've already been a little too constrained and too conservative compared to other other clubs have done we haven't speculated to accumulate in terms of investment or players or getting really crazy on the commercials so he's got to be looking all at all of that and saying he did too little not too much yeah, I, look, here's the one thing that I would say that that is worth recognizing. He owns an NFL franchise. He owns an NHL st- franchise. He owns an MLS franchise. He owns an NBA franchise. Those sports have salary caps. All the teams have a cap on what they can spend. It is geared to create profitable business entities. That's how those leagues work. As we know, football is not that way. The Premier League is not that way. Spending makes you a winner. There's parity in those other leagues that does not exist in this one. And the way you win in this league is you spend. And so the only question is, does Stan, does Josh, does KSE have the mindset, the right mindset, for the business model needed to succeed massively in football and grow the asset value by doing that? Because to succeed massively in football, there is one proven method. Spend. Spend, spend, spend. That doesn't work in the NFL or the NBA. Yes, you have to spend, but you have to figure out where to put the contracts and how to get under the cap and how to not overspend on some positions and underspend on others. If your goal is to run at a profit in football, long-term, your growth is going to be capped. So I think we have to see if they have the mentality for being a winning football club as opposed to a you know, break-even or profitable sports franchise. And that remains to be seen. And so, uh, Clive, I'll let you have the final... Yeah, I'll let Paul have have a word that I didn't want to let him have before I let Clive have the final word. Go ahead, Paul, please. I just wanted to really quickly say, because you you ran it off my point nicely, which is the upside may be the same as the downside, which is they're they're no more or less um, uh, investment-oriented than they were before. You just outlaid the downside. The upside is... I can't see them do spending less. Sorry, Clive. All right, Clive. Now, now, I assure you that you have the second to last word because I'm going to actually wrap up the podcast. But, but you have the final commentary. Go ahead. The floor is yours. So, so I tell you what's not. I tell you what's not going to happen. I, I tell you, we're under dual ownership, and that we were never going to spend that much under dual ownership. We were never going to invest because the ownership was not clear, right? And I think. Under single ownership, the opportunity is is different. It's it's open. 
it has no ceiling potentially apart from financial rules. Or and so I, I really feel that there's a there's a positive feel to this. Um but what I will say, this was a necessary step. Right? So whether it went Usmanov's way or Stan's way, this needed to happen where one person was in charge. And it could lead to another sale in a few years' time. It could lead to somebody else owning the club, a single owner. But what was never gonna we're never gonna happen. While we had this mixed ownership, we were never going to truly shift the paradigm at the club. And the one thing that we have, or football has, is this global reach. For all of you know, the fact I love American sports, some of them are very sort of American centric. The Premiership global rights is just massive, right? And it's global reach. You know, you're getting north of 500 million people watching a game, right? So that's just same number of people that were at Anfield uh, in '89, by the way. Coincidentally, yeah, absolutely. And uh, I mean, I know. And for all you know, the fact I love my NFL and NBA. You just you're just not getting that for your one of your 82 NBA games. You're just not getting those numbers, right? So the potential of globality, this global brand, global reach, the potential of Premier League is still untapped. And then when we move forward into a Super League, you're going to be judged on your historical franchise or historical club, your 35 million fan base, wherever the number actually is these days and how many millions of Twitter followers and Instagram and Facebook likes, all the rest of it, we are very well positioned to be in any sort of European Super League. And that's what it's all about. And then the financials take another level jump again. And so Stan has to maintain this level. And he has to do that while other clubs are trying to do the same. We've got clubs like Fulham and West Ham and Everton outspending us. But at some point, he has to realise we can't keep this going at the same level can't sustain this on the pitch where success is measured. We can't do that unless we invest. And that investment's going to have to come. And that's, that is the next phase. And let's see how he approaches it. And um, I'm hopeful, while a little bit sad for some of the people who are like me, I, I, though I do adjust to change quite quickly and logically, it's not the same for everybody. So hopefully I haven't been too blasé tonight and respecting people's emotions. No, well said. Well said. Ab- absolutely. I'm warning you, though. I am tempted to name this pod when we release it, Globality. Um, but but I, I think this has been a good chance to uh, sift through uh, things. I'd prefer oh, if you went with there uh, again. oiled up and ready to go. Okay. Noted. Um, look, I think what we can say is, in some ways, it may be a sad day uh, for the tradition of Arsenal, the culture of Arsenal, the local connection with Arsenal, and those things are very, very important and should not be hand-waved from a footballing standpoint it could be the start of great things. It is unclear. It is unclear, certainly, that fractured ownership, that joint ownership was providing us anything in the way of competitiveness from a footballing standpoint. I think Clive, as you said, and said, well, there was no incentive for Stan Stan to spend big on the club while it was jointly held. So we have to at least keep an open mind. It does us no good not to, uh, coming from me. I know that sounds quite ironic, but we're going to leave it there. Pause on Twitter. Pause in my pants. Thanks, pause. Clive's on Twitter, Clive P-A-F-C. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. Uh, we will be back. All right, so here, here's the rules, okay? Here are the rules. If you want this podcast released for, record, uh, for listening later, two things have to happen. One, please listen to our mailbag episode that we just put out. I realize... You know, big news broke, and we did this, and we're glad we got to do this, and thank you so much to those of you who've listened to it. Please listen to that one. Thursday is the big... Um, uh, 
mail uh, season preview. There you go. That's the one season preview episode. So uh, we really hope you will listen to that. We're going to have everybody on. We're going to go through what we expect for the season. We're going to go through uh, predictions of where we'll finish, what we'll do in Europe and in the domestic competitions and who's going to be the best player and who's going to be the worst player. <coughs> I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Uh, in any event, again, Thank you so much for listening. Uh, we will try to put this out shortly. So if you're listening to this after we've put this out shortly, again, thank you for listening. And be sure to join us for the next one, our big season preview pod coming out Thursday. Thanks, everyone. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.